This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. If you have a Bible with you, or you just grab one, turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. That's where we're going to begin and pick up. We've been in this series called Outlandish, talking about what it means to have an outlandish faith. First, a couple definitions and in review. Go back, Liam, one slide. Outlandish. If you look this up in your Webster's Dictionary or online, here's what it's going to tell you. To be strikingly out of the ordinary, to be exceeding proper or reasonable limits or standards. You see, it's, it's my belief and my conviction that God is calling his people in this hour to be beyond what is reasonable, to be beyond what is proper, to be a little out of the ordinary. I don't know about you guys, but I'm done living an ordinary life. I've tried it and it doesn't work. There are people all around you that have tried it and it's not working for them either. And I believe that Christ invites us into an outlandish life where we can be out of the ordinary, where we can exceed what is considered proper or reasonable. What he invites us to is supernatural. It is a life that's beyond our own limitations. It's where his spirit begins to empower with gifts. How many like gifts? God is a giver of gifts. The Holy Spirit is a giver of gifts. And he wants you to be empowered to live an outlandish life, to move beyond what is ordinary. And the main reason that he does this is because he's made you for more. He's made you to experience more than perhaps you're even content with right now. I've been following Jesus for close to 35 years now. Started following him when I was about five years old. And I've seen God do amazing things in and through my life and through the lives of countless other people. People that grabbed a hold of this idea that that God was calling them out onto the waters to go beyond where it's comfortable, where it's ordinary, where it's proper, where it's reasonable, to stretch beyond and into the realm of faith. And I believe that everybody is called as a believer to faith, to believe God for more. And so the heartbeat behind this series, for those of you that are new, has been really trying to answer the call or accept the invitation from Jesus to live an extraordinary life. And we see it most outlined for us right here in Matthew chapter 10. So let's go there now. Verse 7 through 8 says this, and proclaim as you go, saying that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is honestly, it's God's reign and it's his rule and it's synonymous with the kingdom of God. So when you see the term the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, it means the same thing. It's the dynamic rule of God that's broken into the present age before its full consummation in the future. So in Jesus, we see this announcement, this great proclamation. And John the Baptist is out in the desert and he's praying and he's baptizing people in the Jordan. He's preparing people for the coming Christ. But what he's really preparing them for is for the the kingdom. He's, he's, in, he's preparing them for the rule and the reign of God that's breaking in to the present time. And so Jesus comes on the scene proclaiming this kingdom, proclaiming that the rule of God has come, that the reign of God has come, that his way and his uh, economy, if you will, has broken into ours, that heaven is literally crashing into earth. Are you getting the picture? And then in doing so, he then turns to his followers And says, now I want you to go and proclaim the kingdom. Now I want you to go and as you go saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So I want you to use words. Not just expect people to connect the dots. Listen, 
I'm, I'm all for us living a good life, but if we're not using words and we're not proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, what are we inviting people to? The church is not just our attempt to uh, come together and be a nice little social club and maybe philanthropically, you know, help a few people and try to change our behavior. No, 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 no. The church is, is the expression of God's family grabbing a hold of kingdom, of grabbing a hold of his rule and his reign. And it begins right here in our hearts. It begins in allowing God to transform our lives, transform the way that we believe, the way that we come to him with expectation, what we think about him, the way that we think about what he's doing in the world. All of those realities should be transforming the way that we live. And so that's the invitation. And, and here Jesus is picking up on this thread and he's saying, listen, guys and gals, as you go out, I'm sending you, and you heard about it last week, as sheep among wolves, I'm sending you out into the world. But as you go, here's what I want you to do. I want you to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Some translations say it's near. It's come near to you. It, meaning it's not an abstract idea. It's not some mystical force. It's not just out there in the cosmos. No, it's here among us. It's actually in us. Jesus would say the kingdom of God is within you. It's righteousness, it's peace, it's joy in the Holy Spirit. We see the expression of those things. And so he says to his disciples, as you go, here's what I want you to do with words. I want you to proclaim this. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then I want you to heal the sick. We spoke about that a few weeks ago. And then I want you to raise the dead. Really, Jesus? You sure about that? Wait, you want me? To go and do this? I thought you were the one who did it. Well, right here, proclaim as you go. You see, Jesus' expectation, guys, is that we do this stuff. And sometimes we look at this invitation and we go, oh, that must be for like the professionals. That must be for the really spiritual people. Right? These guys must have had double uh, masters in biblical languages. They must have understood the Semitic text. They must have had it all figured out, right? These, these must have been professionals. Uh-uh. Jesus is saying this to ordinary people like you and ordinary people like me, knuckleheads that need a little extra grace. We call them extra grace required folks, right? He's saying it to ordinary people, to fishermen and tax collectors and businessmen. And he's, he's saying, here's what I want you to do, guys. I want you to live this out in such a way that you're going to heal the sick. Jesus, are you sure about that? That's what it says. I want you to raise the dead. Listen, I've, I've never done that, but I'm open to it. You know why? Because Jesus wants me to be open to it. Because he invites me into this reality. He goes on to say, cleanse the lepers. We talked about that two weeks ago. Touch those that society deems are untouchable. Cleanse them. Put your hands on them. Bring them into the fold. Bring them back from outside of the camp into the family of God. And then cast out demons. We're gonna save that one for last. <laughs> You'll have to come back for that one next week. But here's where I want us to sit tonight. And it's this very last little verse that Jesus tacks on here. And it's this, you received without paying, therefore give without paying. Uh, some translations say it this way, freely you have received, freely give. That's the NIV. The NLT, which I like, the New Living Translation, says this, give as freely as you have received. See, that makes more sense to me. The, the reality is this, is the kingdom of God has come it's broken into this present age in such a way that we've all been made recipients of its blessing. We've all been given grace. We've all been given mercy. We've all been given love. We've all been given forgiveness. Have we not? 
We've all been made recipients of what the kingdom of it, of what the kingdom of God is. And additionally, what it means to be blessed so that we can be a blessing. Give as freely as you have received. In other words, God wants us to be givers, not takers. He's happy with you getting your life together. He's happy with you getting set free. He's happy with you being blessed. But really, what he's really, really after is you being blessed so that you can be a blessing to others. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about what it means to be blessed, to be a blessing. What does it mean to give as freely as you've received? And what are some practical and yet outlandish ways that we can do this? Well, I'm glad you asked. Church, I believe this. I believe God wants every single one of us to become an outlandish giver. So tonight I want to talk about giving and I want to talk about generosity. But first, a little caveat up front. I don't typically do messages on giving. I don't typically uh, push for giving at Courageous Church. We don't pass the plates. Uh, we don't do a big offering message. When I grew up as a kid in church, you would do worship and then a five-minute to ten-minute offering message, Stephen remembers, and then the sermon would come, right? And we don't do that because here's what we believe. We believe that your giving should be between you and God. And so we want it to be holy. We want it to be an act of worship. Um, that's why you can do it online. You can use the giving box in the back. But we see it as something being between you and God. And so it's not something that I typically preach on or teach on more than maybe once a year. Well, congratulations. Tonight's the night, everybody. So if it starts to get a little uncomfortable, you'll look for those that are leaving. Scott, I see you. <laughs> Just kidding, brother. He's on our security and usher team. So tonight I want to talk to us about what it means to be a generous giver, to be blessed, to be a blessing. In the same way that you and I have been made recipients of a kingdom that we cannot buy, in the same way that we've been made recipients of a grace that we did not earn, God wants us to be able to extend that same grace to others, and he wants to do it not just by healing the sick and raising the dead and casting out demons. No, he wants to do it through your giving. Freely you have received, freely give. And as it turns out, Jesus has a whole lot to say about money in the Bible. A lot of people think that Jesus's message was primary love. And, and there is truth to that. Jesus wants us to love each other. But Jesus actually spoke on money more than most topics that he talked about. Listen to this. Out of 40 different parables, Jesus spoke on money 11 times. That's a lot. That's significant. He has a lot to say about money. And I believe this, it's because of this reason. Because many of us are struggling with our money. And I think the reason why a lot of us struggle, and I, I've been there, come on. So I'm going to use myself as an example tonight. I get to be transparent and real and, and, and bear all my flaws and all my fears before you. But I think a lot of the reason why we struggle with our money is because we haven't yet learned how to do what Jesus has asked us to do with it. So here's my hope for you, okay? As your pastor, as your shepherd, I want to help you. I want to equip you. More than that, I, I want to empower you. I want to I help you grab a hold of this because others have helped me grab a hold of this and it's absolutely changed my life. It's changed the way I give. It's changed the way I see my resources, the way I, I understand my time and my talent, my treasure. And I believe that the Lord wants that for you guys as well, okay? So if you'll trust me for a few moments, I want to take us down this path just a little bit deeper. And I think there's some valuable things that God wants us to grab a hold of. Are you with me tonight? Yes. Awesome. You're with me. Okay. 
in our series that we did called The Seven, we did this actually at the start of 2020, which is crazy to think about now that we're in 2021, getting closer and closer to 2022. But at the start of 2021, we did a brand new series called The Seven, actually laying out the seven core values that we believe as a church. This is how we practice our faith. This is the kind of culture we've been called to foster and to create, but it's how we actually live out what we believe, okay? And one of the seven core values is extravagant generosity. We want to be a people, next slide, Liam, that are committed Next slide after that, to generosity, to extravagant and lavish generosity. Jesus said, it's more blessed for you to give than to receive, which means that there's a blessing, or we could say it this way, there is a way that Christ wants you to flourish as a human on this earth that is only going to be found in your generosity, in your willingness to give. So, if you missed that series, which most of you have because you weren't with us then, I want you to go back and check out the podcast for that because I think it really outlines a lot of what we believe about giving, how we're called to steward. That means how God entrusts us with our time and our talent and our treasure. And so we, we talk a lot about giving in that. And, and tonight I want to address this because our giving matters. The way that we actually use and utilize our resources that God entrusts to us actually matters. And so let's dig into this just a little bit deeper. Here's, here's what Jesus says about your money. Matthew chapter six, verse 21 says this, for where your treasure is there, your heart will also be, or will be also. Billy Graham said it this way. Give me five minutes with a person's checkbook and I'll tell you where their heart is. I like that. When's the last time you and I did an audit of our spending, huh? Some of you, you're just like, you put the card in and you pull it out and you hope there's money in it. <laughs> Some of you are old school where you actually used to balance your checkbook. You guys remember that back in the day? I'm old enough to remember when they would actually teach that in school. They don't teach economics that way anymore. They teach theory. They don't actually teach you how to practically budget. But I remember back in the day when I was taught how to balance an actual checkbook. We don't do that anymore because everything's pretty much digital but I think there's real value in it. There's value in understanding how we manage our money. And so Billy says, give me five minutes opening up the old checkbook and I'll tell you where their heart is. That's essentially him paraphrasing what Jesus is saying to his people, to his disciples, to his followers here in Matthew chapter six. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Why does Jesus say this? He says this because he knows that our hearts get tangled up with money. He knows that our hearts are ultimately tangled up in the things that we value most, and the things that we value most are usually the things that we're spending our money on. Are you with me tonight? So, if you love coffee, chances are you're willing to pay five to six dollars to go out and get a fancy cup, right? And I'm all about that coffee. That's why I go to Honeysuckle and I pour out all my money on Tim and Jen's business because they're awesome and their coffee rocks. But that will tell you about what I value. I value community. I value connection. I value getting together with people. And so a lot of my budget goes to coffee. Could I make coffee at home? Yes. Do I have an awesome espresso machine? Yes. Do I have a drip machine? Yes. Could I probably save money doing that? Of course. But I love being around people. And I love getting out and meeting people. And so I don't mind spending money on coffee. Maybe your thing isn't coffee. Maybe you like to shop. Any, uh, any Amazon shoppers in the house tonight? Yeah? 
How many of you guys love that buy it now button, right? Where you just click it and it just comes to your house the next day. That's dangerous, by the way. <laughs> True story. I left my credentials logged into my computer one time and my youngest son, Keaton, got on there and just started ordering stuff. He was like, this is cool. I just press this button and they start shipping stuff to my house. I started getting all these boxes at my door and I'm like, what is going on? Candace, did you order this stuff? She's looking at me like, no. <laughs> Some of you guys love to shop and that's all right. That's where your heart is. Some of you guys have other things that you're passionate about. But ultimately, those things that you spend your money on, things that you invest in are things that reflect where your treasure is. And I found this to be true. Because we all justify using our money to get what we want or spend it how we see fit. But what if, and here's where I want to challenge us a little bit tonight, what if we changed our perspective or allowed Jesus to shift our perspective a little bit tonight? What if we saw money the way Jesus did as actually belonging to the Lord and not our own? What if we really believe what the Bible said about our resources, that they're given to us by God? Here's what the scriptures say. Uh, don't take my word for it. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. All right, now, pause with me. It doesn't say some of the earth is the Lord's and some parts belong to him. No, it says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That means everything within it belongs to him. It says the world and those who dwell therein. So even us as people. We belong to God. Do we believe that? Do we actually believe that everything is his? The problem is, many of us, we come into the church, we get saved, and we come to the church, and then we think that our life is still our own, that our things are still ours. And the truth is, it's all his. Everything that you have, including the breath within your lungs, is a gift from God, which means that everything you have is grace. It's grace expressed in and through your life. The whole earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. What if we believe that about our money? That the money that we've been trusted with, our resources that we've been trusted with, belong to the Lord and the fullness thereof. You see, the Lord challenges, challenges us in this as the people of God. And he does, through, he does so through what the Bible calls the tithe. For those that don't know what the tithe is, the tithe is the giving of 10% of our income. And here's the funny thing about the tithe, and I've wrestled with this with many people and scholars and people that are far smarter than me through the years. And here's the interesting part about it. The, the tithe actually predates the coming of the law. Some people are like, oh, he's, he's going to get into the old covenant. Well, if you actually look at your Bible, Genesis 14 and 28, we actually see evidence of the tithe long before the law of Moses was ever established and given to, to him by God. We see it in the life of Abraham when he tithed to uh, the priest Melchizedek. We see it in the life of Jacob when he was on the run and he, he, he actually tithed to the Lord. And some people say, well, that was kind of the custom of the day and that was what was ordinary amongst the times. Well, that may be true, but I believe there's still a principle in it that God wants us to grab a hold of for our life. And so as the people of God, you and I, Liam, you can go back to that last slide. You and I are actually grafted into Israel. We are, we are a part of what God is doing with his people. And so we see this all throughout scripture. We see God calling his people to tithe as a way and a means to honoring him and putting him first. Jesus said, give without pay or freely give because you've received, which means that each and every one of us has been given the mandate to be a giver and to do this. So how do, we, how do we do that? Where do we start? So 
Now, Liam, you can go there with me, okay? Number one, we honor God with our tithe and our offerings. This is so critical, guys. It's so critical. And maybe you're here tonight and you're, you're still wrestling with this, and that's okay. I want you to wrestle well. I've wrestled with this. Uh, I want to be transparent and honest with the things that God has helped me with that I've learned and grabbed a hold of because I really believe that they will help you. I, I really do. I really sincerely believe this. It's not because uh, the preacher wants your money. It's not because the church needs your money. No. God provides for me and provides for this church the same way he provides for you. So whether you give or not, it's not going to change the fact. God's, God's the provider. So this isn't about me trying to uh, convince you or persuade you to give. This is about you grabbing a hold of something that I believe will actually help you to live a blessed life. And so the way that we do this practically is, and this is my one point for us tonight. Some of you are like, is there going to be a three-point message or a seven-point message? This is it. This is as good as it gets, guys. So if you're disappointed, I apologize. <laughs> Honor God with your tithe and your offering. You see, giving is first and foremost about the way that you honor God and put him first. When you tithe, you give a tenth of what the Bible calls your first fruits, you're actually putting him first. Putting God first means this. It means that he's the most important person in your life. It means that he's your treasure. It means that you're willing to honor him and to give back to him all that he's already given to you. You see, when you tithe, you're keeping him first. You're giving him not just the ability to be first, but also to bless you and all that you have. So much so that you'll always have more than enough. Here's where I want to challenge some of your theology. Some of you believe that God wants you to be poor. <laughs> I'm glad Levi gets it. <laughs> that wasn't meant to be funny, Levi, but I'm glad you're laughing. <laughs> some of you have bought into the lie that God wants you to go without and to lack. And I really want to set you free from that tonight. I really do. And here's where this gets distorted. You'll find preachers and prosperity people that will preach that the reason that you're blessed is so that you can be blessed. I don't believe that's the case. I believe we're blessed so that we can be a blessing. Which means that what I'm talking about is not a prosperity gospel. It's a provision gospel. God wants to provide for you in such a way that you're blessed so that you always have more than enough. But, but, and here's the conditional but, he asks us to do some stuff with our money. And he does that to test our hearts, to challenge us in our faith. That's really what this comes down to. Is God really who you say he is in your life? Not just on Sunday night, not just when we're worshiping, not just when you're praying for people, but when you're giving your money. Is God the God of your finances? Is he the God of your checkbook? Ultimately, is he really the God of your heart? Is he the God of your treasure? That's what tithing does. It reveals to us where we're actually placing our faith. God knows this. He knows that we need to be challenged in our faith. Come on. He knows that it's easy for us to pay him lip service. Oh God, you're so awesome. You're so amazing. I love you. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said, you honor me with your lips, but your heart, your treasure is far from me. This is the way that God really grabs a hold of our hearts, where the rubber really meets the road. And I want to share with you guys just a dream that I had. 
a couple weeks ago. It's not something that I often do because I'm not, to be truth be told, I'm not a big dreamer. Uh, my wife, she's extremely prophetic, so she gets dreams all the time. For those of you that don't know what that word means, all it means is that God speaks to her in a living and real way through her dream life, okay? We see this all throughout the Bible. God did it with Jacob. He did it with David. He did it with many others. Some of you, this is a primary way that God actually will communicate with you through your dreams. And so you need to, you need to pay attention to your dreams. Uh, it actually says in Joel chapter two, and then later reiterated in Acts chapter two, that in the last days, God will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. His sons and daughters will prophesy. His old men will dream dreams, right? So there's this idea that the spirit of God wants to pour out his presence upon us in such a way that we'll actually communicate with him and understand him through dreams. I really believe this. And so I take a risk in sharing this with you because I know some people will be like, oh, he's just a weirdo. He's just crazy, whatever. And that's okay. I'm willing to uh, bear that name proudly if, if it means being obedient to do what God tells me to do. But he told me to share this with you because I believe the dream wasn't just for me. It was for all of us. And so a few weeks ago, I had this really vivid dream and it felt kind of out of the blue, to be honest. Most of the time, you know, I dream about ponies and rainbows and stuff that's frivolous, that doesn't have any meaning, right? You ever have those dreams where you're just like, what, what was that about? Like, like, why was I skating on a rainbow? Like, what is happening, right? You just get these weird dreams. But in this particular moment, I had this really powerful dream and I really believe God spoke to me in it. And I don't say that lightly because I know people will justify this, but here's what happened in the dream. I was walking with Bill Johnson. If you guys don't know who Bill Johnson is, Bill Johnson is the pastor of Bethel Church in Reading. I, I don't know Bill personally. All right, I don't follow their ministry. I, I'm familiar with them, mostly through their worship and through the songs that they, that they sing and, and write. But in this dream, I was walking with Bill and um, he was talking to me about overflow. He was talking to me about being blessed to be a blessing, about the way that God causes us to overflow in blessing. And in the dream, I was just kind of walking with him and we were just like, he was just talking to me. And then I heard God say this to me, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. He said, I will watch over your seed if you trust me with it. If you trust me with it. And when I woke from the dream, I felt like the Spirit of God said to me that if my people would test me and trust me in this area, I would cause them to experience the same kind of overflow that Bill was talking to me about in the dream. And then he led me to this verse in Malachi chapter 3. For those of you that aren't familiar with it, uh, here's what it says, verses 6 through 12. I, the Lord, do not change. Some of you are like, well, maybe God's changed his mind about this. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. This is a, a, a prophetic message to the people of Israel. And remember, guys, we're grafted in, all right? So every promise to them is ours, right? We're heirs. We've been made heirs according to the promise of God through faith, all right? Read Hebrews. It talks all about it. And he says this, so you, the descendants of Jacob, Israel, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. This is meant to be a little startling. It's meant to be a rebuke. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Hold right here, Liam, hold right here. How are we to return? In other words, where are we missing the point, God? Where have we been missing it? Next verse. Verse eight, 
Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. This is God speaking to his people. And you ask, how are we robbing you, God? God, how are we robbing? How are we stealing from God? How does that work, right? That's the question I have. And then he gives us the answer in tithes and offerings. Because of this, you're still under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Next verse. Therefore, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. I've searched the whole Bible and I can't find anywhere else in the scriptures where God tells us to test him. Do you guys know that? We're not called to tempt the Lord, but this is actually one place where God calls us to test him. He says this, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing. I want you to underline that or swipe that in your Bibles, that there will not be room enough to store it. Stay right here with me, Liam. Don't move. I don't know about you guys, but when I see God say things like this in the scriptures, he officially has my attention. And I hope he has yours. Test me in this, bring the whole tithe in the source, and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. This is overflow. This is what Bill was talking about in the dream, oddly enough. <laughs> Overflow, having more than enough. This is God's heart for us. And he goes on to say this, I will, verse 11, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe. Some of you grew up on a farm. My dad actually grew up on a farm in West Virginia. You believe that? Pretty crazy. And he had to actually tend to crops and tend to vines. Some of you who've, who've gotten the experience or had the privilege to be in a vineyard, isn't it amazing to see how grapes grow and how vines are, are made and how they, how they are lifted up from the ground so that they won't drop their fruit before it's, turn, before it's time? God's using this as an analogy, but th I mean, this was the way they lived back then, okay? I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, Nowadays, we use pesticide and chemicals, which has destroyed our food, right? Destroying our, our ecosystem because we're having to prevent all the pests and the stuff to come in and destroying our, and, and we're trying to prevent that from happening, right? I will prevent pests from devouring. One translation says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. And this, so I want you guys to know everything that I was dreaming is, is right here in God's word. Some of you like, I don't know about that. Is that in scripture? Here it is. All right, test everything, guys. Test it all. Here it is, right in his word. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your field from dropping their fruit before it's ripe. Then, verse 12, all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Some of you are not experiencing blessing and overflow because you're not tithing. Let's just call it what it is. Some of you are not experiencing overflow because you've allowed pests to come in and devour all of your crops. Some of you are not experiencing overflow because you're enslaved to the wrong master. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. 
Some translations say mammon, which is the god of money. You cannot serve God and money. Can I tell you this? Money is a great tool. It's a great servant, but it's a horrible master. It's a horrible master. Some of you are not experiencing overflow because you've allowed yourself to become so burdened with debt. You've essentially been serving the wrong master. And I'll say this about debt. The bank is a cruel master, guys. It's designed to keep you enslaved. Those credit card companies that offer you freedom today, anybody see those Chase commercials on TV? Grab a hold of your life. Live your best life. Financial freedom can be yours. Just slide this card. 24% interest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> keeping you enslaved. Keeping you down. Keeping you burdened with debt. Keeping you in a deep, dark pit long after you've paid for the thrill. Long after you've paid for that TV you want. You've already paid three times for it. And listen, guys, I know this because I've been there. I've been up to my eyeballs in debt. I know exactly what this feels like. Some of you are there right now, and it feels like a hopeless place to be. You're like, am I ever going to see the light at the end of the tunnel? Am I always going to be serving this master? Is there always going to be the bank just holding the the cards over my life? Are they always just going to be pulling the strings? I don't believe that has to be the case. Why? Because God calls us to serve him and to do so with the tithe. That's why, as your pastor, I'm I'm pleading with you today. I don't want the the enemy to devour or deceive you. I don't don't want him to come in and destroy what God wants to put in your hands. And here's the cool part. When we honor God with our tithe and our offerings, God says, I will prevent. I will do it. Listen, some of us aren't the best managers of our own life. Let's be honest. God is so much more capable to do what we cannot do. And uh, if he says he'll do it, here's what I've discovered. He'll do it. But you've got to test him in this. You've got you to you step out in faith and do it. You've got to test him with the tithe. And he says, this is what I'll do. If you test me with the tithe, here's what I'm going to do. Go back to that previous slide, Mr. Liam. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to prevent the pests from devouring your crops. I'm going to rebuke the devourer. I'll do it. I'll take care of all those pests that have been bothering you. God wants you to be blessed. I want to let that sink in for a moment because some of us grew up believing a lie that, that we're, we're called to go without. That's not true. I can't, I can't find it in scripture. Doesn't mean that we won't go through seasons sometimes where we struggle. Come on, I've been there. Doesn't mean we go through seasons where things are difficult. Right? Paul talks about this in the New Testament. Whether I have much or whether I have little, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We like to take that verse out of context, by the way. It actually has to do with money. Whether you have a lot or a little, you can do it all through Christ. And I want you guys to see it as a grace. I want you guys to see tithing as a grace that God gives us to trust him with our finances. When you tithe, when you give God 10%, you know what you're doing? You're allowing him to bless the remaining 90. You're allowing him to bless the whole thing. He says, you know what? You honor me with your first fruits. You honor me with the 10th. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sanctify the rest. I don't need you to give it all to me to prove that you love me. I'm just challenging you to give 10. Shoot, maybe you're here today and you just need to start with five or 1% or something. Here's the cool part. He's such a loving father that he'll take whatever you give him. Whatever you offer to God in faith, he's going to multiply. Do you believe that? 
And so this is where he really wants to challenge us, guys, because he wants us to be blessed. He doesn't want us to live a selfishly, spiritually consumer lifestyle. He wants us to be outlandish givers. When you tithe, it breaks the grip of materialism off your life. It creates margin for you to budget and to do things responsibly. It allows you to actually meet the needs of people all around you and to give above and beyond. Candace and I have made a yearly goal to give more each year than we gave in the previous year. Can I tell you this? In the last five years, we've been able to see this happen. And it wasn't because we were trying to like prove something to ourselves or to other people. I'm just using myself as an example because I, I've struggled with this. I've wrestled with this. I've looked for all the loopholes in the Bible like <laughs> to, to get me out from underneath this. <laughs> and you know what that reveals? It reveals that deep down, somewhere in the back of my heart, I'm still not trusting God. It's really what it reveals. So in this, we have, we have made it our heart be to not do anything that, not ask you to do anything we're not doing, but we, we give more than our tithe every year because we believe that that's the lifestyle that God calls us to, to be lavish, outlandish givers. And can I tell you something? It's so amazing when you begin to live to give rather than to receive what God does in your life. You'll always have more than enough. I am walking proof of this, guys. I didn't come from money. My parents were poor, but they grabbed a hold of this and they began to just give what they had. In the 80s, my, when my dad got saved, he was poor and he was just starting out. We were in San Diego and he didn't know what to do. And there was times where we were, man, we were living off of the ramen and we were living off of the hamburger helper and we we're just eating the helper because we didn't have enough money for hamburger. <laughs> you laugh, some of you have been there. <laughs> some of you are like, I'm there right now. Don't look at me. <laughs> no shame. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, guys. I, there's only God wanting to challenge and encourage us. If you come to church every week and you just leave feeling great about everything, then I haven't always done my job. Because <laughs> his word should challenge us. It should convict us. It should shine light where we need light to be shined. But in my parents' life, they started off just giving what they had. God said, give what you got. He went into his closet. He had all these suits, these really nice suits. For some reason, my dad had a ton of suits. So he started going down to the, whatever, wherever it was, the local pub or restaurant and started asking if people needed suits. If he'd find homeless people, he started giving them suits. And next thing you know, God started blessing them with more suits. <laughs> and he just kept giving away suits and God just kept blessing them with suits. And then that led to him then giving away other things. And then that led to him beginning to tithe, and that led to him be, being able to, to give more money than most people make in a year. And it's all because he trusted God with God's word. This is the challenge to us. Will we trust God where it hurts, where it's hard, where it's difficult? My challenge is this. Give what you got. Start there. Some of you are like, I'm, I've, I've got student loans. I can't, I don't know what to do. Well, what do you have to give? And start giving that and watch what God does. God will, will multiply whatever you offer to him in faith. I really believe this. I've done it in my own life. I used to give away guitars to people who didn't have them. And God just keeps giving me guitars. At one point I had like 20 guitars because I was giving so many guitars away. I was a college student. I worked two jobs. I didn't have a lot of money, but I gave what I had. And God just kept on multiplying it. You know why? Because God's in the multiplication business. 
You guys remember the story? Little boy comes trekking along with his happy meal. It's two fishes and five loaves. Just a boy and his happy meal. What did he have to give? What was in his hands? And what did Jesus do with it? He fed the multitudes. He fed the multitudes. He multiplied what was in the little boy's hands. But the little boy had to be willing to give it first, didn't he? Isn't that interesting? And I believe that. I believe that when we're willing to trust God with what he puts in our hands, he will multiply it. And that's why for the last five years, we've seen this reality come to pass in our life. We've been able to help the poor and needy and world missions and church planning. Did you guys know that 10% of everything that comes into this church goes out to plant churches all over the world? Did you guys know that you're part of a church that loves planting other churches? Did you guys know that? Some of you are like, no, I had no clue. Well, that's why I'm telling you. (laughs) You get to be a part of what God is doing through the advancement of his kingdom on the earth through planning churches, through serving the poor, through helping the needy. You know, through, all throughout COVID, we were able to help people that needed help financially because of, of many people's faithful giving in this church. This is what God is calling us to, a generous, extravagant lifestyle, and we're thankful for it. But here's my heartbeat for you tonight. It's that God would set you free to give so that you can be set free from the fear of not having enough. Next slide, Liam from the fear, next slide after that, of not having enough. See, ultimately, I think what causes us not to give or trust God or test God in this area is because we're scared we're not going to have enough. What if I give my 10% and I don't have anything left at the end of the month? Can I just share a really cool testimony with you guys? Two weeks ago, we were at a place where we were close to not making budget, and every month since we've launched this church, we've made budget, praise God but we were about five days away from not making budget. And I said, okay, Lord, I don't know what we're going to do. It's like the end of the month, you know, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a crazy summer and people are traveling and gone and just been light. And, and, um, God said, trust me and, and and pray. And so I said, okay. And I prayed and I prayed for a specific number. The number was $2,000. Truth be told, I think we were only a thousand dollars away from meeting our budget. And I said, God, I'm going to believe for above and beyond and I'm going to pray for $2,000 to come in within the next five days. Can I tell you what happened? The five days came and went, and the $2,000 did not come. But the very next day, on the sixth day, I got invited to do ministry at a church up north called Elevation Church in Layton. And the pastor, just last minute, was like, hey, my whole team's gone. It's the 4th of July. Nobody wants to be here. Everyone's with their family and barbecues and fireworks and out of town. Would you be willing to come and, and to lead worship? I said, yeah, absolutely. And I led worship. And at the end of the, of the service, he wrote a check to Courageous Church for the amount of $2,000. And I said, God, isn't it just like you? <laughs> to meet our needs in a way that's often unexpected and at a time that is not always according to our timetable. It was as if God was reminding me and reminding us, guys, I've got it all taken care of. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. But I've got you in this. I've got you in this. And here's, here's where I want to land the plane tonight. Some of you are living with this right now where if God doesn't come through for you, you're like, I don't know what we're going to do. 
And I want to challenge you right now. I want to challenge you to go all in on this. I want to challenge you to pray. I want to challenge you to trust God and to test God in this and see that he won't pour out a blessing so much that you won't be able to contain it. That's one story and example, but I've seen God do this all throughout my life in extraordinary ways that still blow my mind. Random strangers, random people, checks in the mail, money showing up on the street, getting out of my car and there's a $100 bill, stuff that just kind of blows your mind. And, and guys, like this is just the tip of the iceberg. I, I wish I had more time to share amazing story after story after story after story of ways that God has done this. But here's where I want to land the plane tonight. God wants you to be set free from the fear of not having enough. When you live in outlandish faith, you're saying to God, I trust you that I'm always going to have more than enough, that I can be blessed to be a blessing. Here's my final thought. I don't want you guys to leave this place viewing your tithe as a debt you owe, but rather as a seed you sow. Here's the analogy I want to use. God said in my, in my dream that I would watch over this seed if you would trust me with it. Look at it this way. In every apple, there's a seed. You don't eat the seed. You eat the apple. But in every apple, there's a core, right? That core generates seeds. We could say that core is like 10% of the apple. You eat the 90%, don't you? And what do you do with the seed? You sow it. Well, if you're a farmer, you sow it. If you're an American, you throw it in the trash. <laughs> you sow the seed. You don't eat the seed. Why? Because the seed doesn't nourish you. In fact, the seed can make you sick. It's not good for you to eat the core. But once planted, that seed will produce a tree that will produce apples. Not just one. Not just one. Some of you, you're eating your seed. It's not good for you. And as a result, you don't have a big tree that's producing more. This is the analogy. The tithe is the same way. When we place it in the hands of God, he takes it and he multiplies it because that's what God does. He multiplies what is offered to him in faith. And here's the truth, friends. You can't give what you don't have. You cannot give what you don't have. That's why I've never met a broke tither. You can, I've never met one, all right? I've never met a non-generous tither. <laughs> Some of the most generous people that, that I know, uh, you know, the ones that pick up the tab at dinner, while you're still pretending to go for your wallet? No, 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 let me get that. Some of the most generous people that I know are tithers. They're people that grabbed a hold of this. They give beyond their means. They give sacrificially even because they're always blessed to be a blessing. And I've seen this in my own life. I believe God wants this for each and every one of us today. Do we believe that, church? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, God that you have blessed us to be a blessing. And I know that there are people in this room right now that feel challenged, and I want to say good. Because, Lord, it's in the challenge, it's in the wrestling that you meet us. It's in that place, Lord, that you grow us to become spiritually mature so that your body can be built up in faith and in through unity. So, God, I pray for anybody in this place tonight that feels challenged by this, Lord, that they would respond in faith, that they would see you do, God, what only you can do because, Lord, you're faithful. God, I've seen you work. I've seen you move in and through my own life. And so I know, God, that you always back up your word. You always do what you said you were going to do in your word. Every single time, you never fail me. 
and you've never failed us and you won't fail this church. Lord, you're calling this church to be a beacon of light. You're calling this church to be generous. You're calling us, Lord God, to be lavish and extravagantly generous, Lord God, with all that you've entrusted to us, our time, our talent, and our treasures, God. But Lord, we thank you that we can, we can trust you with this and that you said in your word that you would pour out such a blessing, God, that we wouldn't be able to contain it. Lord, I'm speaking to people tonight that could, could use some blessing in this area. But Lord, you're speaking to people tonight that need to step out in faith and begin to do this. So Lord, give us the courage to trust you. Lord, give us the strength to endure when our faith is tested. Because we know that in doing well, Lord, we're gonna reap a harvest so big and so amazing, Lord, that we can't even contain it. God, we're thankful. Ultimately, Jesus, you gave it all. You modeled this for us by giving your whole life to us and in through that cross. So I want to pray for anybody here tonight that's never made a decision to follow Jesus, to repent and turn to him for your salvation. Here's your moment. I want you to just pray this with me. You can pray it out loud or in your heart, but Jesus, Savior, Save me. Save me from myself. Save me from the mess I've made of things. I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you died on that cross for me and that God raised you to life again. Even though I may not fully understand all of that yet, I confess that you are who you said you were. And I ask now that you'd come and give me a new life of freedom and hope in you. Come fill me and baptize me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' resurrected name and make all things new. Amen. Amen. And amen. If you made that decision tonight, please let us know. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to uh, connect with you and help equip you to take some next steps. Speaking of next steps, we have our next steps class, which is called Growth Track, coming up on August 22nd. For, so for those of you that have been coming for a while, that want to get more involved, that want to link arms with what God is calling us to do in this valley, come on. It takes a team. It takes an army. We got our next class, August 22nd. So sign up for that online, creativechurch.com. 3.30 to 4.30, it's an hour-long class. We're going to teach you some stuff. We're going to help you develop and understand some of your gifts. And of course, we'll feed you. How many of you guys like free food? Free food is the best food. Can we stand to our feet tonight? Let me bless you in Jesus' name, Father. As I stretch out my hands upon your people, Lord, would you make your face to shine upon them, Lord? Would you pour out a blessing so much they can't contain it? God, would you help them to trust you in faith and to step out and be lavish givers, to be outlandish in all that they do? Lord, thank you for giving it all to us so that we can turn around and give it back to others. And we give you praise and glory in all of God's people said amen. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.